Can you hear me now? <laughs> okay, yeah. Come on in, everybody. Boy, this is amazing. Usually we have to corral people and drag them in here, but everybody is uh, in today. That's good. Well, starting today and for four weeks, uh, Pastor Ken is teaching our newcomers orientation in adult classroom two. That's right across the hall there. Uh, the newcomers orientation is for those who are new to CBC to provide information about our ministry and to help you determine if this is the place God would have you to grow and serve. If you take the class, you're under no obligation to become a member, but the class is simply to give you information about the church and to help you to decide. So if you've never taken the orientation, you're welcome to go now, uh, right across the back door here, right across the hall into adult classroom two. Also, our young adults, Crossroads Ministry is meeting in Classroom 3 across the hall, also out the back door there. And if you're in the young adult category and you'd like to participate in that class, you're welcome to do so now. For this class, uh, I'll be teaching a few of the next uh, four weeks on the subject of the Old Testament law and the New Testament Christians, but I'll be doing that starting next Sunday. Today, we're honored to have with us Bill Crawford and his wife, Debbie, and they'll be uh, introduced themselves in just a moment. Bill and Debbie have served the Lord in Germany for many years, and they're going to be headed back there next month. But they've stopped in Michigan to see family before they do, and we're happy to have them with us here today. The name Crawford is probably familiar to those who have been here at our church for a while as Bill and Kathleen Crawford are longtime and beloved members here and Bill Jr. is their son. Also Bill is the brother of CBC members Kim Brown and Chris Roberts. So with Bill in town, he arrived just this morning on the plane, Pastor Ken asked if he would teach today and we're so glad that he agreed to do so. So Bill and Debbie, welcome again and to CBC we look forward to what the Lord has through your teaching this morning Bill thank you hi mom hey mom hey dad surprise um, first of all I want to say hello and thank you so much um, we're part of the Crawford clan so just to let everybody know that's our family that I know, but I'm saying it again. I know. So, well, Kim told me. Okay. 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 So, thank you. And Smokey said to get up here and say something, so I'm going to do it. She's from Texas. She's from Texas. She can say whatever she wants. And we forgive you from being from Michigan. No, you're in Michigan. <laughs> you're in Michigan, woman. So, um, again, my name is Debbie, and Bill and I have been married now 36 years. In 33 of those years, we've been ministry full-time. We have two precious, wonderful daughters who are now married and have their own children. And during that time, as we've been looking back, we're like, oh my goodness, we blinked. And they're all grown up, and we have six wonderful grandbabies. And we have two in Florida and four back in Germany. And five of them are little boys, and we have one little girl the youngest, and she thinks she's the boss, and we just let her think she's the boss. 
And so from there, but let me say this. We went to Germany when Tiffany and Heather were nine, no, 11 and 13. And it was an incredible journey that we had there. And, but during that time, they grew up. And Tiffany, as I just mentioned, she, her husband is a youth pastor in the Orlando area. And Heather, her husband is a German, and he's a mechanical engineer in Germany. And so when we do return back there, we had lived in the east when we did go to Germany, um, which was a former communist area. And we were there for about 20 years, plus 20 plus years there. And now when we go back, we're going to be going to the west part of Germany, and we'll explain more about that in a little bit. But I, he's got to explain some things first. I okay. told him on the plane. Yeah, he did. But we got up at 3 o'clock this morning, so we're a little bit loopy. But uh, no, what we did, we, we started off, actually we're going back to the origin of where we entered the country, 45 minutes north of where we started. And when we first started there, we were there for 16 months, and things just weren't working out, and the Lord began to open up things in the, in the north eastern part of Germany where that area of the country had been behind the Iron Curtain for 40 years. The people were completely different than those in the West. Um, whereas in the first 16 months of being in Western Germany, we made 40 different contacts. It was pretty easy to interact. When we went to Eastern Germany, it took a year before we made one contact. And we did that through the fact that I had a, we had a dog and the, the person I talked to had a dog and the dogs liked each other and so over the fence we kind of met and then we began to talk and then he began to he was a he was an old blacksmith he was retired and I learned so much from him just about the, the, the culture and the language and and uh, and then from that point though the Lord began to open up doors for us through uh, a soon retiring Southern Baptist missionary uh, whose father had worked for the scientific program under Hitler. He was uh, one of von Braun's scientists. And he, when he grew up, because the 100 scientists that America grabbed and the 200 that the Russians grabbed, his dad was in that 100 that came to El Paso. And so he grew up in the States, and he was also a rocket scientist, literally. He came to Saving Faith, and then he became a missionary, and we met Brother Paul and Joanne, his wife, and they were doing an international work. And he asked me when we came to Dresden, would you like to become a part of this work? And I said, no, I'm good. Uh, we're only focusing on Germans, and that's why we're here. After about a year, we saw, as we were attending the, the ministry there, that we were able to reach internationals and Germans, whereas on the other side of it, we were reaching really no one. So after a lot of prayer and counsel, it was pretty easy to transition into an international work where we could work with both Germans and internationals. And as we established that work, we were seeing an average of 15 to 17 different na nations in our church at any given service. And over those years, we had over 50 different nations come through our doors. And we had all different religions. We had atheists. You name it, we had them come through the doors. They heard the gospel. And so 
we planted the church, and as we go back now, we lift that church into other folks' hands that we've trained, and we're going to be moving to the West. But a lot of people ask us, so what did you do there in Germany? Well, as he just explained, we had so many nationals that we were working with. Bill's days were literally so filled with different things, trying to prepare for Sundays and all these kind of things, and discipling and counseling and doing all other things that, that missionaries do. But his hands were just a little more full because he was dealing with so many different nationalities at one time in their cultures. and Because we, we had to make sure that what was what they were learning in church it wasn't culturally but it was biblical christian and that took a lot of time and effort on on his part to really uh do that and my days were sometimes literally full um i was the helper as as the bible talks about and my passion is always and has been for women to know and understand god's given role for their lives and so I was able to have a women's ministry doing uh, mommy's classes and discipleship because some of these ladies, um, as they grew up, and especially in East Germany, they, ne they never held a baby till it was their very own. Um, they didn't know how to raise children. They didn't even know how to change diapers or anything like that. So I was able to come alongside and eventually I got into the midwifery uh, aspect of everything and became a doula. But in Germany, doctors don't deliver babies. It's the midwives that do. And so as a doula, I was there, and sometimes midwives didn't quite make it. So um, I was able to help deliver the babies and do these things for the last 20 years, but also, more importantly, to help nurture these women in raising their children. And it was, it's been a blessing, and I'm looking forward to going back and doing that as well. And... Um, but we also want to let you know that being there the 20 years, as any missionary will tell you, that there's a lot of rough waters when you're in the front lines. And we have gone through a lot of deep waters, but God is so good, and he's brought us through, and it has been an incredible, life-changing. We can't go back. Logically, we, we shouldn't want to go back because of everything that's going on there, but our heart just is there we can't wait to get there there are people that are need to hear the gospel we know that god is preparing them and we just we're on pins and needles we don't go for a couple more weeks but we can't wait to get there but we also and i'm just trying to give you a little snapshot into who we are in our lives and all these things yeah would you okay good so in 20, 2018 actually debbie came down with a whooping cough now she had been struggling with um, bronchitis and pneumonia and they, uh, the doctors diagnosed her as having COPD. But when she got the whooping cough, she just couldn't kick it. And it just hung on and hung on and hung on and hung on for months, about nine months. And finally our sending church pastor and the missions director said, you need to get her home now. So in September of 2019, we got on a boat because we didn't want to fly in a plane let her breathe the salt air, and we took a slow boat coming back over. And then we first got into Houston, and they did preliminary tests, but then we knew we couldn't stay in, <coughs> indefinitely in a hotel. And Debbie had already, two years prior, the Lord had orchestrated to where she found a missionary village in Bradenton, Florida. 
She recontacted the people there. They said, come over right now. They had a place for us, so we got into a furlough home. And then we've been there ever since, seeing the doctors, getting her healthy, and the doctors have cleared her with her health, her lungs, her immune system are 100%. And we're praising the Lord for this. Um, we've had a lot of other things like gallbladder surgery. She's been through it. Um, her eyes, cataract surgery. Um, so she's been busy, busy with the doctors. And, uh, but the Lord's opened the doors for us to return. And uh, like she said, we're, we're visiting family. We were going to go down to Houston to visit her folks, but because of this massive COVID outbreak, her parents and our sending church pastor advised us not to come into Houston. We don't want to get red flagged trying to get back into Germany. So we're going to stay up and around the, the Michigan, Ohio area um, and just do a little vacationing and see family and have some fun. What else do you want me to say? Nothing. Tell me. Go ahead. Okay. One of the things that a lot of people have wondered as to what did you do the last two years that you were back here? Well, of course, we had to get well. But as any of our family members will tell you, that we don't sit still very long uh, for anything. We love to go. We love to serve. We want to do things. And so as we were in the missionary village there, we were able to minister to the folks there, but also back in Dresden, where the Lord has uh, just so wonderfully blessed us with a pastor. Um, Bill has been discipling and, and mentoring the pastor there, and as I've been talking with the ladies. Now, this is all via chat, video chat. But in the meantime as well, the Lord opened up the door for us to also get our certified counseling uh, degree with ACDC, and we are just in the middle of that. We are so thankful the Lord did bring us here at the best time, and the, just everything orchestrated wonderful. So now we can go back, be better equipped, even though it was hard, it was struggling, but now when we do go back, we, we're going to be far better than we were than when we came. And so we want to give people hope, and we're going to get to go back and do that. That's right. Okay, I think that's all. That's okay. it. Okay, so now I'll teach. Oh, you sure? Okay. <laughs> if you guys had open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 20, we're going to be going through uh, the three benefits of the resurrection. And, of course, there are many benefits of the resurrection, but these are three things that we see clearly in this passage. Um, so John chapter 20. John chapter 20. I had to borrow my sister's Bible because we, could, we couldn't bring everything with us. I had a five-pound Bible, and it was too heavy for the airplane. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can open your word. We can come together with brothers and sisters in Christ, and possibly, Father, there are people here today who don't even know you. And I pray, Father, that you would work through me by the power of the Holy Spirit and that you would open eyes and ears and soften hearts, Lord, to what you have for them today. Let me get out of the way and let your work be done here and around the world. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Again, what we want to do this morning is look at the three benefits from this passage that we find in regards to the resurrection of Christ. I wanted to name it the three Ps, but this sounds funny, so I said the three benefits. But it's the peace and the power and the purpose that we find here. The peace, the power, and the purpose that we find in the resurrection. Now, John's account of the resurrection states that early on Sunday morning, 
Mary Magdalene arrived at the tomb, and when she arrived at the tomb, it was empty. She ran back and told the disciples, and we know the stories of the Gospels, that they didn't believe, they couldn't, they were just, they, they couldn't believe what they were hearing. They didn't believe, but then she convinced them. And so Peter and John go running to the tomb, and of course John goes there, stands at the door, and Peter just bursts past him and sees that the tomb is empty. And now he knows, and it makes sense to him, what Christ had been teaching him all those years, that he, the Messiah must first die and then be buried and rise again. Now is the reality of all this. Let's look now first at the peace in the midst of our fears. John chapter 20, verse 19 and 20 says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. One of the things I like to do, and I'm sure Pastor Ken, I have to be careful, I call him Kenny. Uh, He's my brother-in-law. They call me Billy, and I'm like, okay. Uh, So we like to define words. We want to know, what is this word peace, arene in the Greek, or shalom in Hebrew? What does that mean? And this word means that there was a tranquility, a harmony, just this calmness of spirit in the midst of trials and fears. And Jesus in his glorified body just all of a sudden appears out of nowhere. These doors were not just shut, they were locked. And he appears in the room. And I don't know if I, about you, but if it was me, I would, have, I would be freaking out. If all of a sudden someone who I saw die on the cross now appears to me physically in the room. And here they are, and he says, Shalom, Shalom, be calm, <laughs> be calm. He did this knowing, again, what they knew in their hearts, that he had just been crucified and rose again. Prior to this greeting, again, I, I want to repeat that they were standing behind closed doors and it's because of fear. And now you all know the word fear in the Greek is phobos. Sounds familiar, like phobia. Phobia is the word we use. Many of us here have different phobias. I'll name a couple. Some of you have claustrophobia. What is that? Fear of being enclosed in small places. Some of you have arachnophobia. What is that? Fear of spiders. I don't like spiders. When we lived in New Mexico, we had tarantulas. And sometimes we would be driving down the, the road and we would see these big, huge, size of my hand spiders going across the road. Or you'd open the front door and there would be a visitor out there on the front porch, a huge spider. They're nasty. How about hydrophobia? Fear of water. That's my fear. My wife is a dolphin. In the water, I am a rock. Okay? She's a dolphin. I'm a rock. And uh, she just swims like nobody's business. Uh, So I have a bit of a hydrophobia, but I'm getting over it. Then there's uh, ophidiophobia. How about that one? Do you know what that one? Ophidiophobia. What is that one? Fear of snakes. We also had rattlesnakes. And as a city boy growing up in Michigan, when I first went to New Mexico, 
Dealing with rattlesnakes was not fun because they're dangerous and they're deadly. And sometimes you'd walk around a corner and there's one coiled up and you've got to know what to do. So I had to learn how to eliminate these things. Then there's one, believe it or not, and you're going to guess this one. I guarantee you're going to guess this one. It's called coronaphobia. I kid you not. Fear of the coronavirus. It's, it's a real thing. Others, like the disciples at this time, have what is known as thanatophobia, which means fear of death, fear of dying. Kind of goes in correlation with coronaphobia, wouldn't you say? People are so fearful nowadays that they're going to die. And the disciples seemingly had a legitimate reason from a human perspective. Listen, they were hiding because of the Jews, it says in the scripture. Now, we know that the Jews didn't literally, physically do it, but they used ungodly men. They used the Romans to do their bidding. And so they had, from a human perspective, they had some fear. Debbie and I, many times, there were times when we were in Germany. In our area of the country, where it was formerly behind the Iron Curtain, we had the highest percentage of neo-Nazis. And they would frequently, yearly, do protests. And these would be hundreds upon hundreds of skinheads with clubs. And they would come out to fight. And they hate foreigners. They detest foreigners. The only thing that we had going for us is that we kind of blend in with the way we look. Our internationals, who had more melanin in their skin, were harassed and even sometimes pulled over by the police because they were black or brown uh, because of this. They, and, but the most awesome thing is that God always protected us. When we were there just about a year, we, we pulled around the corner and there was a huge protest going on with police on horseback and shields and they were pumping tear gas in the crowds and the skinheads and the, and the neo-Nazis were fighting with each other. And yet we had this calmness in our spirit, and nothing happened to us. The Lord watched over to it, watched over us. This happened several times. Debbie got off a tram one time with a girl uh, at the church, and there were all these skinheads out there. And she just said, "I don't want to go out there." The girl said to her, "She said we're going," and Debbie just walks out. And she said it was kind of like the Red Sea. They just all moved apart, and she walked right through the middle of them, and no one touched her, and no one bothered her, and they went shopping. She likes to shop. But the Lord is good. Now, I'm not saying there haven't been times that we haven't been afraid. There, there have been times where we, we've been terrified in certain situations. We had the, the German government was um, giving us problems for a couple years, and, and it was terrifying because we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know what the result of the issue was going to be, and they were coming after us for unknown reasons, uh, reasons that were... To us made no sense, and the Lord worked it all out. And God is good. We just have to trust in him. We can't walk around with fear. We can't walk around with fear. The disciples, like many of us, forget what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28 through 31. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. It's easy to sit here in this nice, comfortable place in the United States and quote that and go, Amen. Amen. That's right. That's right. 
But when you have 300 neo-Nazis in front of you, or the government that is not your government coming after you, it's a whole other story. It's a whole other story. And so we have to kind of put ourselves into the believer's shoes that are all over the world. They're being persecuted at many different levels, some being in prison, some being tortured, some being killed for their faith. But we sit here comfortable, and we don't think about those things. We need to think about those things. We need to meditate on those things, especially in America, where this is not the America that I knew when I was a child. It's not. It's completely changed. And, and if your pastor hasn't said it, which I'm sure he has, uh, maybe he hasn't, I don't know, uh, persecution's coming your way. It's coming soon. And these verses are going to make sense to you and to me. And we are going to have to understand that do not fear those who can kill the body but who are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. And he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet, no one, no, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. We, like the disciples, need to remember what God said to the Apostle Paul to Timothy. God did not give you a spirit of fear. Do you believe that? Are we alive here today? Do, do we talk in church? Uh, God did not give you a spirit of fear. He gave us a, a spirit of, 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 of power and love and a sound mind. Power and love and a sound mind. So whenever we're fearing, we need to say, wait a minute, I'm sinning because God told me not to fear. God told me not to fear. Now, there are natural times when we fear in the, in the flesh. You know, think about when Jesus is walking on the water and and they're, and they're scared to death. And then Peter says, well, if it's you, Lord, call me out of the boat. And he says, well, come on out. And what does Peter do? He steps out onto the water. And he starts walking toward the Lord. And what happens, though? When he took his eyes off the Lord, that's when he went down. Whenever we take our eyes off of the Lord, that's when we get fearful. That's when our humanity takes over. And that's when we just cringe and crawl and cry and, and we forget that we're Christians and we forget that the Spirit of God lives within us and that we have love, joy, peace, arene, calmness, tranquility in spite of the bullets, in spite of the bombs, in spite of the neo-Nazis, in spite of the government. It's easy to become a comfortable Christian, isn't it? And this is what Debbie was kind of saying in the testimony, that we have, we, have, we have to fight being cultural Christians. It's so easy to think that this is my home. This is not your home. You're a foreigner in a foreign land that is playing to the Pied Piper tune of the God of this age, known as the devil. And yet so many Christians want to be accepted in this world. But Jesus said, listen, if they, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So if the world just embraces you and thinks you're the most awesome thing, there's a problem. Because when they start to hear your testimony 
and get to see who you really are and know what you believe and stand for, there's going to be some problems, unless, of course, the Lord is drawing them unto himself, but there's going to be some hatred towards you. There's going to be some resistance because what you believe about God and marriage and babies and morality and how things should be biblically are completely antithetical to what they believe. So there's more to being a Christian than just being a nice guy. And I told this to so many people. Well, I'm just trying to be a, a living example. That's part of it. But you've got to speak at some time because, listen, there's a lot of good Buddhists out there, a lot of good Muslims out there, a lot of good Hindus out there, a lot of good atheists out there. Some, listen, I have met some atheists that are kinder than Christians. I've been treated kinder by lost atheists than I have by people in the church. And that's sad. That's sad when we bite and devour each other. And we need to get that culture out of us and stop talking Christianese and act like Christ. And so the first thing we need to remember is Christ gave us peace in the midst of the storm. How much time do I have? Two minutes? Fifteen minutes? Oh my word, we're in trouble. That was my introduction. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I want to give you two verses in this section. John 14, 27. They must have forgotten this too. Jesus said before, he's saying this in the upper room, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Do you believe that, Christian? One person does. Do you believe that, Christians? There you go. There you go. I've been preaching down south a lot, and they amen a lot. Uh, John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world, listen, Christians, in the world you're going to have trouble. That's your Lord speaking. These are the verses you need to memorize because in the world you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trials, you're going to have tribulations, you're going to get sick, and listen, one day you're going to die. And there's not one thing you and I can do about it if we believe the word of God. What does Ecclesiastes say? There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. You can do nothing about that. We just met a man in the missionary village. He, they call him Tom the Turk. He was a missionary in Turkey for 20, 30 years. Precious man, seemed healthy as a horse, but he had a heart problem. Corona got him, and it took him yesterday. He has a German wife, ate right, exercised, did everything perfect. But you have an appointed time, whether it's Corona whether it's influenza, whether it's cancer, whether it's walking out there and a car hits you, or an aneurysm right where you're sitting, you can't stop it. You can't stop it. But we're not to fear. You will have trouble, but Jesus says, take courage. I have overcome the world. Take courage. I have overcome the world. 
Do you believe that your Lord has overcome the world? If we believe that, we're going to live differently. We're going to live differently. We're not going to live fearfully. We're not going to... The Bible tells us over and over again, don't worry. Do not worry. Do not fear. Be courageous. Be anxious for nothing. And yet, Christians have cowered this past year or so. Cowering. Back in the day of Martin Luther, when a real plague was going around, people were dying all over the place. And Luther would go into their homes and stroke their heads and sit with them and comfort them and stay with them because he wasn't afraid. He trusted a mighty God and he lived through a true plague. This happened through church history four times that we know of. And these Christians that sometimes died in the streets with those they were trying to reach because it spoke a message to those they were ministering to. The second thing we want to look at is purpose in proclaiming the gospel. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus was reminding what he had been training them for for three years, and we see it in all of the four Gospels. Matthew says, go therefore and make disciples. Mark says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Luke says, and that repentance, that remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. And John says, as you sent me into the world, I will send them into the world. This is not just my commission, it's your commission. You know people I do not know. You have contacts I will never be connected with. And they're watching you. And the moment you tell them you're a Christian, they're going to listen to everything you say and everything you do. Because they want to see what kind of Christian you are. That's what they're looking at. So purpose in proclaiming the gospel. The third thing, since we're running out of time, is there's power to be his witnesses wherever we go. John 20, 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And we know that this fulfillment came in Acts 1, 8, where it says, But you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And this is, this is your Jerusalem here. And your Judea, Samaria, is Michigan, and to the uttermost goes beyond our state throughout the whole world, through the, through the missions program and outreach. And we know even in the Old Testament, it's clear, even Zechariah, as he's building the temple, says, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We need the spirit of God. Even in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we know it wasn't apart from the spirit of God that thousands of people came to know Christ because the spirit of God empowered them. And through that message, we saw people just coming to know Christ out of paganism. And when the same thing can happen today, amen? And this is what we want here in Michigan, down in Texas, and in Germany. And we hope that you guys will pray for us and that, uh, that you'll just be, you know, that's, that's a wonderful thing to know that other believers are praying for you. And I just want to encourage you with this today. That therefore, after they knew the Lord had risen, they had peace. They had purpose. They had power to turn the world upside down for Christ. 
And we have the same Lord, amen? We have the same spirit. We have the word of God. They didn't have the complete, they didn't have the completed scriptures. We have the guidebook. We just need to live by it. We need to invest our time into this book and to know what it says and understand it to be able to teach it and live it out properly and not just quote some verses and then be a hypocrite. That's, that's the, the, the number one thing that I got from the lost folks over in Germany was this. I don't want to be associated with the Christians because they're a bunch of hypocrites. And so then that put huge pressure on me and Debbie to not be a hypocrite. So I just want to encourage you today. I want to leave you with these words to, to follow these examples that they trusted the Lord in spite of the circumstances that were around them, in spite of the suffering, in spite of the death, in spite of the disease, let's just follow their example that they set. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this message this morning that you've given through your word. I pray that we would have the peace and the purpose and the power of God upon us in our lives. Use us, Lord, in a great way to reach our families, our friends, our neighbors, and even our enemies, Lord. And let your hand be upon us. Bless the service that continues after this, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.